Would you please open in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians chapter 4, verses 5b to 7. Uh, that's on page 1166 of your Pew Bibles. Page 1166. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, the second half of, first, of verse 5 to verse 7. Hear now the word of the living God. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father Jesus Christ said, fear not, little flock. And O oh Lord, there is a tenderness of that. He calls us his little flock. So we pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves underneath this good shepherd who takes care of us, that we would draw near to his voice and be near to his presence, that we would not be rogue or be a maverick sheep, but that we would be close to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to see, Lord, that you are near. Open your word to us now, Father. We come, Lord, with great expectation. We come, Lord, with hearts ready to receive your word. And we ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would indeed illuminate the word and apply it to our souls. God, apart from you, we can do nothing, even to listen, even to preach, even to worship. Apart from you, Lord, nothing can be done. But with you, Lord, we can do mightily. So we come, Lord, and we expect you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, 2019, the New Republic a magazine a company published an article that said, that was entitled, Age of Anxiety. And the subtitle read, America seems to be in the midst of a full-blown panic attack. For the elderly, there is a fear of falling or the fear of isolation, of dependence, of degeneration. For the middle-aged, there's stress about financially supporting their children while also caring for aging parents. For millennials or young folks, there's a work-disrupting anxiety has occurred twice the average rate in the United States. Between 1999 and 2017, there has been an upsurge of suicide, upwards of 33%. The Barnes & Noble retailer, book retail company, has reported that in their sales... There has, been a, there has been a surge of books regarding anxiety 
a surge up to 25%. And all of that was before 2020. I don't know what what it is now after COVID-19 and the possible economic recession or the war in Ukraine or the political elections. Undoubtedly, I think anxiety has only increased. Pat Vanderbilt, she had a physical, an annual physical uh, sometime last week, and she mentioned it just briefly at our meeting on Wednesday, and she mentioned to the doctor, she said, the world seems to be crazy or something like that, right? We live in a crazy world. And the doctor responded, yes. Anxiety and anger has shot through the roof or been off the charts with my patients. Why, why is that? Now, is it because anxiety and fear is unique and peculiar to our age and our culture? The first words that Adam said right after he sinned, he said this. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. So Adam had no idea what would happen next. He was afraid. Ever since the fall, we've lost a sense of stability, of certainty, of peace. In other words, anxiety is embedded in the fallen human dilemma. It's not a particular problem that only some of us struggle with. Everyone struggles with anxiety to some degree or another. Now, for some, anxiety shuts them down. They're debilitated. They're paralyzed. They're avoidant. For others, anxiety fuels the frenetic pace of their lives. They become hyper-responsible. They become workaholics and stressful all the time. For others, they know exactly why they're anxious. They have a specific reason in their mind. And for others, anxiety is like a a free-floating fog. They have no idea why they feel anxious. For some, anxiety is more of a biochemical or clinical issue, and they need medication. And yet for others, it's more volitional. It's something they do to themselves. My point is that regardless of how it looks, Everyone struggles with anxiety. I mean, yesterday I was anxious about preaching on anxiety. I hadn't, like, is this even true? Is this, is this pastoral? Is this helpful? Is this good? I felt anxious. Everyone struggles with anxiety. So every age really is in the timeline of anxiety. We've always been anxious about our safety and the safety of those we love or about being unloved or being alone or about what we might lose, our spouse, our money, our jobs, our life, our mind, our reputation. Really the only difference in our culture is that we think our own human abilities and resources can fix the problem of anxiety. We've deluded ourselves to think that if we have 
enough safety protocols, if we have enough of the right politicians in the office, if we have enough insurance coverage, if we have enough deadbolts and doctors, then maybe anxiety will go away. Alexis de Tocqueville, he's a political historian, he observed this about America. He said, America is haunted by a strange melancholy in the midst of abundance. And what makes the problem worse is that I think we've misunderstood the solution to anxiety. Our immediate response is, what do I do? Or, how do I get rid of my anxiety? We want a three-step program. We want a, a proven formula, a quick-fix program. We approach the Bible like it's some over-the-counter drug or some silver bullet. Just pour in a cup of prayer, and then you mix it with a little bit of thanksgiving Throw it in the oven for 20 minutes, and then voila, there's instant peace. Is it that simple? Some of us pray, and we, we try to thank God. We count our blessings, and it doesn't seem to work. We get frustrated. Maybe the problem is we've treated the solution to anxiety like a magic pill. When anxiety really is fundamentally a relational issue. Scripture doesn't offer us an, a series of impersonal steps. Scripture offers us a person. The first question isn't, what do I do? The first question is, who is with me? Anxiety doesn't search for something to do. Anxiety searches for someone to trust. The point is, it's not a spiritual method or program that dispels anxieties. It's fellowship and trust in a person that dispels anxieties. So we're going to look at this in three points. The presence of God in verse 5, prayers to God in verse 6, and peace from God in verse 7. So if you look at, me, look at it with me in verse 5b, it reads, the Lord is at hand. And this is really the main artery of the entire passage. If you skip this or if you cut this out of the passage, you really cut the jugular of God's peace. This is the very reason Paul can command us not to be anxious. And what combats anxiety here then is not distancing ourselves from our fears, Neither is it summoning up courage within ourselves to face it. What combats anxiety is the near presence of another. So that's why Paul says, the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. This is a promise that Christ is near. And notice that Paul doesn't say, God is at hand, or Christ is at hand. He says, interestingly, the Lord is at hand. So this is significant for the Philippians because the city of Philippi was a, was a patriotic Roman city. Their city was full of military vets. 
They prided themselves and their loyalty to a different Lord, the Lord Caesar. But these kinds of lords, they rule by terror and by tyranny. They follow Machiavelli's maxim. Machiavelli said, It is much safer to be feared than loved. Fear is maintained by a dread of punishment which never fails. So these lords keep their people in fear. These lords want their people anxious and paranoid. These lords want their people to have the dread of punishment hang over them. These lords are like Joseph Stalin who consolidated his power through police terror, purge trials, widespread secret executions. These lords are like the drunken father who, who, who staggers home late at night and reigns by verbal abuse and physical dominance. When these kinds of lords knock on the door, our hearts palpitate, our palms get sweaty, blood pressure rises, there's panic and worry. But Paul is saying, when the true Lord, when the true Lord is at hand, we should experience the opposite. Christ does not rule by terror. Christ does not want his people to worry. The very nearness of his presence is what encourages us not to fear. It's a thing hard to describe when someone is present and fear goes away. Christ is like the comforting presence of a loving father to a daughter in a thunderstorm. He's like the encouraging presence of a seasoned commander to tenderfoot marines in battle. He's like the calming presence of an expert doctor to a patient in medical distress. Anxiety is not dissolved because our greatest fear has vanished or because we summoned up courage. Our anxieties are dissolved because someone has entered the room. The Lord is at hand. He's not irritated then by your anxiety. He's not annoyed and frustrated when you feel worried and stressed. He doesn't turn away when you're afraid. Jesus Christ wants to meet you in your anxiety. He said in Luke 12, fear not my little flock. Do you feel how tender that is? He knows how vulnerable and weak we are. When a child has a nightmare in the middle of the night and she frantically runs to her parents' bedroom weeping and in, in, in uncontrollable fear she crawls into their bed, what do the loving parents say? Do they say, stop being anxious already? Do they say, pull yourself together? 
Do they say, don't you see how unreasonable you are? How utterly ridiculous that is? Go back to bed. Is that what they say? They say, well, this is what they do. They put their arms around his daughter. They cover her. And they say, daddy and mommy are here. Don't be afraid. We're here. And when we go to God with our terrible nightmares, our loved ones dying, health deteriorating, relationships falling apart, being alone, the besetting sin that we can't shake off, financial insecurity, political injustices, what calms us when we have these nightmarish anxieties? It's being in the arms of the one we trust, who holds you in your hysteria, who whispers to you, I'm here. Don't be anxious. I'm here. The emphasis in this passage is not a series of impersonal steps. The emphasis is on the Lord who is at hand, who comes near, who says, I'm here. When John Wesley was dying, he surrounded himself with family and friends, and they were praying and reading the scriptures with him, and they were reading the promises of God. And John Wesley said to them, yes, all these promises are true, but the greatest is this, God with us. Shauna and I, when we were going to get married in 2017, we knew that a month right after we would get married, we would move from Hawaii to Chicago. And Chicago to us was like this foreign place, this, this place we'd never been to. We had no family or friends within a 700-mile radius. There was no job lined up for Shauna. There was no promise of financial security. This was our first year of marriage. We, had, we knew nothing about marriage. And yet we had a sermon preached at our wedding, and we chose this text. It was Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, and it says this. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And that's how we started our marriage. Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord is with you. So we're not called then to believe in a method or a spiritual technique. We're called to believe that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. He's there. You're not alone. Now look at verse 6. 
Paul goes on and he says, In light of this truth, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So this is the second point, prayers to God. So since the Lord is near, the most important thing you can do in the moment of anxiety, the most important thing to do is to talk to God. Don't talk to yourself. Don't talk back to your anxieties. Don't talk up a plan. Paul says, talk to God. And be honest. This is why Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. So that doesn't mean that God is unaware of your needs. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. What this is, is an invitation from God. God invites us to talk with him. God is saying then, I'm here. I want you to, I want you to, to tell me what you're going through. I don't want you to carry that burden alone. Why do you try to carry that anxiety by yourself? Talk to me. I'm here. And notice then the three components of this dialogue. First, Paul says, pray to God in everything. So in every circumstance, whatever it is, no matter how big or small it is, he doesn't want you to be afraid of hiding anything from him. He wants full personal self-disclosure. He wants you to feel safe about telling him everything. It's an invitation then to be completely honest with God in everything. Secondly, notice that Paul uses three synonyms here. He says prayer, supplication, requests. The point is, Paul wants you to give voice to the specific desires of your heart. So don't play a game of holiness with God. Don't pretend you want something that you really don't want. Tell God what you really desire. Be specific. If it's, if it's money for an unexpected bill or marriage or the salvation of loved ones or success in a medical surgery, pray that to God. Paul, God wants you to be utterly open to him. He wants you to pour out your heart to him, to tell him what your deepest desires. And then notice, thirdly, Paul says, pray with thanksgiving. So this isn't so much the content of prayer. It's really the manner or the frame of mind of prayer. It's the posture of gratitude that we have towards God in prayer. It means God wants you to recognize that he's a giver. He's not a taker. He doesn't want you to doubt his generosity and goodness. He doesn't want you to be paranoid, thinking, thinking he's out to get you. God wants you to approach him with thanksgiving, meaning that you really believe God is gracious and that he gives freely those things we don't deserve. It's a posture. 
So, so then, when you go to him in your anxieties and your nightmares, he doesn't only say, I'm here, don't be afraid. He also says, what's wrong? And he invites you to talk with him, to tell them what's wrong. It really doesn't matter in that moment how legitimate or absurd the nightmare is. He just first wants you to talk with him. Now, verse 7, look at what happens. It says, And the peace of God, which, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the third point, peace from God. So on the one hand, we shouldn't assume a quick fix to anxiety, some kind of magic pill. But on the other hand, we shouldn't assume that progress is impossible. As we learn to dialogue with God openly in his presence, we gradually grow in inner peace. This is really a call to gradually deepen our relationship with Christ. And as we grow in this relationship, we learn peace from God. Now notice, the promise is God's peace. It's not ease. The promise is not that God will give you what you ask for. The promise is for peace regardless if God grants the request. The promise for peace is independent of the outcome. In other words, the condition for experiencing God's peace is not that God grants any of your requests. The promise is, is for something, the promise is for something far greater and deeper, more desirable than what we ask for. The promise is for freedom. It's for freedom from the tyranny of circumstances. The promise is peace while remaining in the presence of painful uncertainty. It's a promise for peace, not ease. Notice also that God's peace here surpasses all understanding. So the peace of mankind cannot grant you ultimate peace. It cannot guard your heart. It only exacerbates our anxieties. God gives a peace that transcends what is humanly achievable. It's beyond all the clever psychologies and self-help therapies. It's beyond classic or new age philosophies. It's beyond what sheer human will can produce. This is a supernatural peace. This is something foreign to the human mind, something alien. This is something that we cannot produce. Jesus said in John 14, he said, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give you. Now notice finally, the most important thing of his verse, I think. Notice that God's peace will guard your hearts and minds 
in Christ Jesus. And the word guard there is a very, is a very important term. The word guard is a military term. Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, the governor was guarding the city of Damascus. In fact, in Philippi, there is always a Roman garrison guarding the city. And if you consider Paul and his situation, he was surrounded by Roman guards in prison. So this was a term which was easily understandable by both Philippi and Paul. And Paul is just here saying that your hearts and your minds, they're like, it's like a vulnerable city. It's like a, a precious castle to God. It's like a beleaguered citadel. And God stands guard like a Roman garrison seeking to protect it from attack. Meaning this, it's not ourselves who guards our hearts. The city does nothing. It's not even our prayers which guards our hearts. It's God himself who guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's God. So when anxiety and fear spies upon you, and it's trigger happy and bloodthirsty, and it's trained for infiltration, and it's ready to besiege the city of your heart, there's God. And he stands like a platoon of battle-ready soldiers, ready to protect it against any assault. God is like the night watchman who never slumbers. God is like the divine sentry who never abandons his post. God is like a platoon of militia who makes war against all enemy threats. When you pray then that the Lord, when you pray to God, when you pray to the Lord who is near, he says he will guard your hearts. He will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. There's a scene in The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've seen it. I hope you've seen it. Um, a scene called The Battle of Helm's Deep. And there's these orcs who have made it through all these wooden doors. They smash through all the doors. And they've gotten to the inner castle. And defeat seemed inevitable. But they make one last trumpet call. And Aragorn, he gazes to the east. And there's all these orcs surrounding this city. But Aragorn looks to the east, and there he sees on a mountain... In front of the rising sun, Gandalf, the wizard, and he's on a white steed. And behind him is a multitude of reinforcements. And they descend upon these orcs like a waterfall. And really, that's, that's a, a, shadowy, a shadowy representation of what's true of Scripture. Consider... 2 Kings chapter 6. If you remember that, it's when Elisha and his servants were alone and they were surrounded by the Syrian army. 
And this servant was with Elisha, and he was afraid. And this is what he said to Elisha. He said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And that's my hope this morning, that God would open our eyes, that even if the external circumstances are uncertain, even when our hearts are surrounded by this army of anxiety, that God would open our eyes and help us to see that there is a mountain of God that surrounds your heart. And it's full of horses and chariots of fire. God promises, when you call to him and bring him your fears, heaven will open. The Lord who is at hand, the Lord Christ who sits on the white steed, the Lord whose name is faithful and true, the Lord who in righteousness judges and makes war, this Lord whose eyes are like a flaming fire, this Christ who's crowned with many diadems, who's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, who has the army of heaven following him, this Prince of Peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He will guard you. He will descend upon your anxieties like a waterfall. When the child of God goes to the Father in her nightmares and anxieties, the Father, the Father doesn't just say, I'm here. Don't be afraid. What's wrong? It's as if he says, I will not yet turn on the lights, but I will walk into the darkness in front of you. Take my hand. Don't be afraid. And follow me into the darkness. He does not promise to take you out of the dark. but he does promise to be with you. And he promises to be with you in the midst of the darkness. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that there are many anxieties in this room. I myself carry them. We know we all struggle with anxiety. And yet, Lord, you've called us to yourself. 
You've promised to draw near to us. You've promised to, to comfort us in our fears. And Lord God, we know that the circumstances are uncertain and that there is a cloud of unpredictability that's always ahead of us. And we often make many prophecies of what's going to happen and we catastrophize and we think the worst. But even, even though, Lord, that the worst could happen, help us, Lord, to have trust in you in the present. Help us to trust that you will provide manna tomorrow. Help us to know that you walk with us. Indeed, you walk ahead of us, Lord, into the, into the darkness. Help us really believe that you will guard our hearts and you will give us peace. Lord God, you don't want us to worry. You don't want us to be full of anxiety. You want us to be a people of joy and of ease and of supernatural peace. So, oh Lord, we know that peace is like a river and it's glorious. Oh God, we pray that we would be near this river. Our hearts are so full of trouble. In Christ, you said this world will be a place of trouble for us, and yet you are with us. Oh God, help us to believe that you are really, really with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.